you, Brother Stephen and choir. You just started out right at the top, I tell you. That's a, that was excellent. The choir's never sounded better. Thank you. It may have something to do with Boyd Lee not being here, too. So. <laughs> it's Brother Steve back there. <laughs> I apologize to Boyd Lee. <laughs> you may not care about these things, um, but uh, the Farmer's Almanac says that the best time to plant your below-the-ground um, crops will be either January the 18th and 19th, or February the 14th and 15th. I don't know why that's those. It has something to do with the moon. But that's what the Farmer's Almanac says about the best time to plant those seeds, those underground crops. I guess that's okay if you're living in South Florida. I'm not certain that it's here. You may say, well, just beat it. I don't care it what the almanac says. Something will turn up. Or I'll buy my vegetables at Yam's Wholesale Club. That may be what you're thinking about that. Too many people have the same attitude when it comes to planting the Word of God in their heart. To digging deep and getting into the Word. Jesus gave a parable about that issue. Matthew chapter 13. Begin reading with me at verse 1. On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered to him, together to him so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell, on, uh, fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For, who, for whoever has, to him more will be given. and He will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. The hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. 
lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Blessed are you, and uh, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, Immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Let's bow together and pray, asking the Lord to help us to understand more fully His Word. Father, thank You for the Scripture. Thank You, Father, for preserving it and for it being available to this day for us. We know that it is without fault, without error, completely reliable for every matter that concerns us, every matter that concerns you. So we pray, Father, this morning for an understanding heart, receptive heart, to hear what you say, not just today, but every time we approach your word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that the word concerning Christ would be sown today and every time we gather together that lost souls can see that they are accountable for their sin and that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty, the debt that they owed on the cross of Calvary. And if they would place their faith and their trust in Him who died, was buried, and raised for them. We pray, Father, for Christians that we would have understanding hearts, receptive hearts to receive your word and produce fruit. May you be so glorified in this church. Our lives is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You recognize that in Matthew 13, particularly verses 3 through 9, that Jesus is speaking a parable. He's teaching as he sits in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and the crowd is gathered there on the shore listening to his teaching. He's teaching concerning the Word of God itself. But in particular, he's using the parable. The word parable means something that comes alongside of. Jesus' method of teaching is the highest method. And he uses parables to illustrate doctrine, to illustrate truth. I think we need to understand some things about parables before we go too far 
into this uh, this morning. But first, parables, we do not build doctrine on parables. Parables are not intended to, to, to give us doctrine. They're intended to illustrate doctrine. So parables... Uh, are earthly stories or earthly illustrations, things that people can relate to that have a heavenly meaning or a heavenly truth. So Jesus is taking a common story, a farmer, a sower, that goes out with seed and, and he sows his seed. They could relate to that because they were an agrarian society, a, a culture that understood Farming in the Middle East and in uh, Palestine of that day. It's not necessary, when we study a parable, it's not necessary to try to make everything in the parable fit as a, uh, to illustrate something. For instance, in what often is called the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, and the father put a robe on the uh, wayward prodigal son that's come home, put a robe on his back, a, a ring on his finger, and shoes on his feet. And we take that and we go to town. Now that's a beautiful picture of what? Does the ring mean something? Does the robe, we often say it's the robe of righteousness. I think the overall meaning of that parable is that we have a forgiving father that welcomes home the prodigal. Not to build a doctrine on what that ring, what those shoes, what that robe represents. So we should be careful. Now, it illustrates some things, but don't try to make it all fit. And for the most part, and this is a very important rule in studying the Scripture and understanding parables, is that a parable illustrates one main thing. That's why Jesus gave this. Now, beginning in chapter 13, Jesus gives us eight parables. Eight parables in the 13th chapter. And each one of them, he's illustrating one main truth. Here he is showing, in this parable, the potency of the Word of God, the seed of the Word of God. So this morning, as we look at this parable. I often call it the sower, the seed, and the soil. I want us to begin with understanding the interpretation, then we'll move from the interpretation to the application, and anytime you have good interpretation or the right interpretation and you make good application, you'll heed the invitation. Is where we'll end up. So let's begin. The interpretation of this parable. There is a sower, there is a seed, and there is the soil. Let's talk about first the seed that is mentioned in this text. What is Jesus using? Again, one thing that he's trying to get across. And so it's important, the sowing of the seed, it's important that we understand what the seed is. He tells us in his giving of the interpretation of the parable, chapter 13 and verse uh, 19, of course, by the way, this parable is found in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so, and, and he gives us the answer, but it is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. One way we are clear on that is we look at other scripture, for scripture interprets scripture. 
And in 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 23, we're told that the Word of God has life in it. It is the seed, the Word of God. 1 Peter 1, 23. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, we are told that the Word of God is alive and powerful. The seed, you think of that little seed, the smallest or the tiniest of seeds, a mustard seed, can yield a great stalk, a large fruit-bearing stalk. There's power in that seed. And if you want to grow a living plant, you have to begin with a seed. That's true in the realm of agriculture. It's true in the Christian life. We are born again by the seed being planted, which is the Word of God, both the written Word and the incarnate Word, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So the seed is the Word of God. Now, what does a seed do? It produces fruit. It produces fruit. When the Word of God gets in a heart and it grows, fruit is the result. You say, well, what is that fruit? Too many people want to tell you the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. No, it's not. The fruit of an apple tree isn't an apple tree. Now there's the potential for an apple tree in the fruit of an apple tree, but the fruit of an apple tree is an apple, not a tree. The fruit of a Christian is described in Galatians 5, 22 and following. Or 23. <laughs> we start with the real fruit. Uh, 22 and 23. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. We understand that's not separate fruits. That's one fruit. All mixed up into those different graces that are described in Galatians 5. And so the seed, as we interpret this parable, we understand the potency is not in the sower and how well he can cast the seed or broadcast the seed. The potency is in the seed. We know that's the Word of God. Secondly, the sower is the one who sows or shares the seed, the Word. The one who shares the Word. Verse 3 of chapter 13. Behold, a sower did what a sower does. He went out to sow. In this parable, Jesus is the sower. And He's showing these Israelites, these Hebrews, that He's sowing the seed concerning the kingdom. Verse 18 and 19, He says, Anyone who hears the word of the kingdom, He's sowing that. Have you ever thought about it? Jesus should have come as a reaper. But He came as a sower. We would think of Him coming and that he's, he's reaping a harvest in His first advent, His birth. That He would come as a king and He would reap a harvest. But no, He came in grace, sowing. He's the sower. Now anyone who shares God's Word is a sower. Sunday school teacher, you're a sower. You have an awesome task. Discipleship leader, you're a sower. Bible memory leader, you're a sower. You have an awesome task because you have the potent Word of God. 
And you're, you're sowing it. The potency's not in how well you sow it. It's in the seed. It's in the Word of God. When you witness to someone, when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're in your neighborhood and you share with someone the Word of God, you're, sh- you're sowing the seed. Again, the potency's in the seed, not your sowing of it. Certainly, we should sow. We should sow patiently. We should sow plentifully. We should sow uh, um, uh, um, persistently. We should sow partneringly with other people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul said, there were some who planted, some who watered, but God gave the increase concerning the sowing of the Word of God. And so we have the responsibility to sow. We are sowers of the Word, and we are Christ-like as we sow the Word. So we have the seed, an interpretation of that. We have the sower. Interpretation gives us our understanding of that. But then the soil. Could Jesus be illustrating in this parable how that no matter how potent the seed is, the receptivity to the seed, where it's sown. And we recognize that it's in the hearts of men that he's speaking of these places that the seed is sown. He speaks of, we'll call them soils. Four soils, four types of soil where the seed is sown. We could say this represents the human heart and its receptivity to the seed that's sown. He begins, verse 4, with a hard heart. And he sowed, and some seed fell by the wayside. These were the little footpaths that ran all through the fields of Palestine. As they made their journey, they hardened, they were compacted, and and, and as the sower would sow the seed at the time of, of sowing, sometimes the seed would fall on that pathway, that wayside. And because it had been compacted and walked upon and it was hardened, the seed didn't penetrate. The seed didn't, wasn't planted. It was too hard for the seed to penetrate. And this is like the carelessness, the thoughtlessness, the unconcerned heart of many people. Though they may come and attend a service, but the seed is sown And just like on that hardened path, it bounces off far too many other things to be cared about. No concern, no thought, no care for the seed and its potency. Then, verse 5 and 6, he mentions a shallow heart. He says, For some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. There was soil there, but it was just a thin layer. In the Palestinian soil, there was a a thick layer of limestone underneath. And sometimes it was just a thin soil. And so when a seed would fall into that soil, even if it had been somewhat prepared, but not prepared with any depth, when the seed would fall into that, it couldn't penetrate the limestone, the hardness. And there was no root. Where there is no root, folks, there will be no fruit. 
So here we see a shallow heart. This might be what we would call an emotional hearer. People sometimes hear and they get all emotional about it. Verses 20 and 21, he said, He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the the word and immediately receives it with joy. Great enthusiasm. Oh, I like that preacher. I like that teacher. That was good. That made me feel all warm and fuzzy. And then they go outside and life hits them in the face. And they forget. They don't care. They move on. Persecution is what he speaks of. He says that they sprang up, but they had no depth because when the sun was up, they were scorched. They had no root and they withered away. It's good for a plant to get the sun, but if there's no root, it can destroy it. Persecution is good for God's child. But if he's not God's child, persecution will reveal that they're not God's child. They'll turn and go away. So here is the shallow heart. There's the hard heart. Then they speaks of a crowded heart. Verse 7, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Verse 22, he gives the inter- further interpretation of this. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. A farmer may love fruit and the fruit of his seed that is sown or planted, but the farmer must hate weeds. I'm certainly no qualification to speak on agricultural matters, but uh, uh, there are crops that, that certain weeds, I'm told pigweed is a bad one to get among soybeans and uh, maybe other planted crops, but pigweeds will ruin your yield, your harvest, if not weeded out. Here he's illustrating maybe a pigweed. He calls it thorns. They sprang up and they choked them out. These weeds, verse 22 gives us uh, a little more interpretation of that, a little understanding of it. He says they are the, the cares, the concerns of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches. He's not saying riches in itself, but how riches can deceive. So he shows that crowded heart. I think there are three weeds we need to deal with in our own lives. Uh, Just uh, worries, wealth, and worldliness that we need to weed out. And so the soils that he's mentioned through verse 7, we would say that these are unfruitful soils. I'm of the conviction that all three of these represent unbelievers. Maybe they've had an emotional response to the seed, the Word of God. But it didn't take root. And either persecution or or the hardness of the heart they rejected outright, or the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, root out the Word. But look at the good, fruitful heart. Verse 8, But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Verse 23, he speaks more fully of it. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundred, some sixty, some 
thirtyfold. This is the receptive heart, and it is fruitful. It bears fruit. The other three soils never produced fruit. Never did they yield a harvest. Wherever the Word of God is planted and it takes root, ladies and gentlemen, it produces fruit. What is the fruit of a Christian? It's the testimony he bears concerning Christ Jesus. It's, it's, it's shown in his life. It's evidence through love, joy, peace, long-suffering, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The, these things, are, are we might call them the fruit of the Spirit, but it's, it's what a Christian yields, the fruit. Are you bearing fruit? Now, we see from what Jesus said that some of this seed, when it's planted, some a hundredfold, a good crop. Some 60, that's a mediocre crop. Some 30. He's not giving, you might say, well, he's giving room for carnality. I don't know that that's what it is as much as that, that there are circumstances and situations where some yield more fruit. But it's a potent seed that brings forth fruit. And we have that in the Word of God. You say, what, what fruit are we talking about? I think there's, there's heart fruit. There's repentance and faith. That's where you begin. And He grants that when the seed, the Word of God, is planted into your heart. There's lip fruit. Praise, prayer. We give that. We yield that. There, there, there is life fruit, which is a way of life. Holiness, consecration, being set apart unto the Lord. Are you yielding fruit in your life? So we have the sower, we have the seed, we have the soil. But how do these apply? What's he, what's he saying? What do we deduce from this parable that's speaking of the potency of the Word of God and its receptiveness in a prepared heart or its rejection in an unprepared heart? Well, I think this has application to evangelism to our ways of evangelism. I think we can see clearly that not every soil is going to produce fruit. Not every time the gospel is broadcast, is proclaimed, will it respond? Is that the fault of the preacher, the broadcaster, the, the sower? No. The seed is potent. It always is. But the soil, the preparation of the heart, I would ask the question earlier, whose job is it to prepare the soil? Well, I know ultimately it's the Holy Spirit's work in preparing the soil, the heart. But there's a responsibility that we have as well. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But there is an application to evangelism. Not every seed is going, or not every soil, we'll say, is going to receive the seed. Uh, some may uh, receive it and yet not bear fruit. There were three soils that never produced fruit, but the sower kept on sowing. There's an application in this to the church, ecclesiology. An application to the local church. We would not accept that first soil, would we? If that represents a person's heart or a person that's heard the word and they reject it, as far as church membership goes, we would not accept it, would we? 
Folks, my fear, out of love for the church, out of love for the bride of Christ, my fear is that we accept the second and the third with ease. How do we respond to that? I I think, you know, there's a point. If you take John chapter 4 and the the story of the Samaritan woman, there's a point at which she had all four of these soils. So what we need to do is take that hard heart and the ministry of the church through evangelism, but also the ministry of the church is that we try to lead that hard heart to becoming receptive soil, a receptive heart, so that when the seed is sown, when the Word of God is proclaimed, that they'll receive it. That's our job. We continue to sow. That's evangelism. Even though some soils, some hearts reject. But we need to know what a believer looks like. We need to know what a Christian is. That's important in a church. We believe in a regenerate church membership. That simply is a way of saying we believe that every member of the local church has had a born-again experience with Christ. Not everybody defines born-again the same way. Read the column, the article in the, in the bulletin. Some folks will talk about, I'm born-again, but they believe that astrology is real. They believe in reincarnation. And they say, I've had a born-again experience. There's an application for evangelism, application for the church or ecclesiology, but there's an application for every believer in this parable. When we look at this parable, we can see it's not just about how the lost get saved. This parable has application for every believer. And what is it? It's that to bear fruit, we must plant the seed, which is the Word of God, and cultivate it. De-weed the, the soil, the heart. This says something about the way that we study Scripture. The way that we study the Word of God. Folks, I cannot cultivate your heart for you. No preacher, no Sunday school teacher can cultivate it for you. You have to do that. A little saying that I've written, I don't even know where I saw it some time ago, and I, I put it on my, a little sticky note on my desk, and I say it just every day that I'm seated there. And it, it's about parenting, but I think you change the words a little bit, and it fits to this situation as well. But it's this, your kids will never prioritize that which you marginalize. Hear me, parents? Your kids will never prioritize that which you marginalize. Let's turn that a little bit. Teachers of the Word, your class will never prioritize that which you marginalize. Classroom teachers in in secular education learned a long time ago that, 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 that... Posture and, and, and the way that you, you, you conduct yourself in class uh, as a student, a pupil, depends a lot upon what they receive. A person that sits in the back of the room, slouches in the chair, comes unprepared, no pencil, no paper, or anything like that, they're not going to be a good student. 
I think we can say the same thing about the Word of God and our approach to it. If you come in here, teacher, if you walk in here 10 minutes after a Bible study class should have began, you are marginalizing the Word of God before those pupils. Don't do it. If you come in here to worship and you breeze in here at 5 after the time to start because you, your life and your time is more precious than everybody else's and you just want to whiz in and then whiz out, you are telling, if you're bringing children with you and your family, you are marginalizing the Word of God. If you show up once in a while, you are marginalizing the Word of God. If we believe in the potency of the Word of God, we ought to hunger for it to be planted in the soil of our heart. We ought to want it to be heard. We ought to want it, want to receive it so that we can produce fruit. How do you cultivate your heart so that you can receive the Word of God? I would say just like, just like in farming, you clean. You get, you get that soil ready by cleaning off everything else that's not soil. You get rid of the rocks. If it's hard soil, you dig them out. You, you get rid of the weeds. Nowadays, there are chemicals that are involved. You spray it. They don't even cultivate much in some farming circles. They have chemicals they spray, and it takes care of all of it. You, 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 you clean. You then plow. The reason we don't receive the Word of God, we're not plowing. We're not breaking up the fallow ground of our heart. I think one way we pray, the one way we plow is to pray, God, I want to get something out of this. I want to hear you speak to me. We clean, we plow, and we plant. Folks, planting requires focus. It requires focus that we know that we've got to get that seed. In farming, we've got to get that seed in the ground. In, in the Word of God and in the church and in growing as a Christian, we've got to focus. I'm so A-D-D-D-D or whatever the numbers, letters are nowadays. I, I, I know that. I can be sitting down with the Bible opened up and my, my Bible study program all there and ready to study. Oh, look, there's a butterfly. <laughs> That's the, we're, so, we're so A-D-D spiritually, aren't we? We clean, we plow, we plant. If you want to be fruitful, you will be. Cultivate the weeds from your heart. Prioritize the Word of God. Don't marginalize it. So we've had an interpretation. Jesus gave us that in this parable. We see some application to not only evangelism and the church, but to each of us, even as believers. Lastly, the invitation of this parable. Look at verse 9 of chapter 13. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The secret of a fruitful heart is to have a hearing ear. The secret of a fruitful heart as a child of God is to have a hearing ear. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word concerning Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7 says, Today hear His voice and harden not your heart. Through the years, we've had the, and I've done it, you've done it, I'm sure. We've had the excuse, kind of a back pocket excuse when we didn't want to enjoy something. We'd say, well, it's just, it's just dull. It's just, it's just monotonous. Uh, that, that, that preacher's preaching is just boring. 
It's just, and, and, but maybe could it possibly be Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. He tells those Hebrew Christians that they ought to be teachers of the Word, but they weren't. And he tells in verse 12 the reason why is because they had dullness of hearing. If you want a fruitful heart, you need to cultivate a hearing ear. Jesus seems to be saying with this statement at verse 9, Do you hear me? Are you listening? Interpretation and application. We can get those things good and right as we read the Word, as we study the Word. But what about the invitation? Be ye doers of the word and not simply hearers. How does your heart respond to the word of God? Is it hard? I pray that we can move you from the hardness of heart. I pray the Holy Spirit does that work, but that we'll be faithful in continuing to sow the seed. That you move from the hard heart to the receptive heart. The fruitful heart. Some may say, well, uh, my heart responds to the Word because it's kind of shallow, and we sometimes embrace that. Or some say, my heart responds because it's crowded. I've got so much going on. So much going on in life. What are you prioritizing and what are you marginalizing in your life? May your heart respond to the Word of God by saying, message received. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your Word for giving us the privilege of being here this morning to to hear it read, to hear it rightly divided, we pray. We would ask, Heavenly Father, today that you would do an eternal work in every heart. I pray for the lost, that they would have a hard heart no longer, that the Holy Spirit does the work of cultivating that soil to receive the word concerning Christ, to receive the seed, which is the word of God, Thank you that we are born not of an incorruptible seed, but of the, the ever-powerful, ever-living word concerning Christ. I pray that Christians, Lord, that we would be faithful to you in sowing the word, the seed, as we're called upon to do. Bless this church, Lord. May we be filled with fruitful believers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.